Welcome to the Mast Podcast. This series will be looking at all aspects of boating in Tasmania. In the first episode of the series, Masts Peter Hopkins, Keegan Higgs and Ian Ross talk about why and how life jackets became compulsory in boats six metres and under all those years ago, as well as what's happened since and of course touch on life jacket technology and development. Hoppy. What led to the compulsory rain of life jackets in Tasmania? Well, it started back in around about 2000. The then Minister Paul Lennon contacted Mars. There'd been an enormous number of fatalities on the water, um, a lot up the lakes and a lot of coastal drownings. And uh, one in particular that really stands out is uh, when five blokes lost their lives down near the pineapples on uh, Bruni. I can still remember vividly on the front page of the Sunday Tasmanian um, five bodies with sheets over them on a rock. And that was pretty well the, the situation that changed boating in Tasmania forever, I think. And it wasn't long after that that uh, life jackets became compulsory. Now, prior to that, from about 87 through to about 2000, we were seeing in some years 16 fatalities on recreational boats. That, that was enormous. So... Then the compulsory wearing of life jackets came in in January 2001. And I recall being with the then Chief Executive Colin Finch um, in Georgetown when the Minister's office rang us and said, we're going to make life jackets compulsory on all recreational boats. We thought, crikey, you know, that means motoring out to the start of a, a yacht race on a 48 footer, you're going to have to wear a life jacket. We sort of thought that's not going to go down too well. So we actually talked from Georgetown back to Launceston with representative of the then Minister's office saying, well, you know, all the accidents are happening in boats six metres and under. So we're able to get it from any recreational boat down to what it still is today, six metres and under. That was massive. Um, we thought we were going to be in for one hell of a fight with, with the recreational boaters, but the media were behind it and, and at the end of the day, it was a relatively easy situation to be in and it was... Uh, Pretty well, you could say it's pretty well accepted by most of the boating public in Tasmania, which was which was great. The change that that's affected, and the and the actual difference that that's made to uh, to the drowning rates. Yeah, well, pre-compulsory wearing in Tassie, we were around about six point three fatalities per ten thousand boats every year, and I know that we were the first jurisdiction or state anywhere in the world to make compulsory wearing. Um, or introduce compulsory wearing of life jackets. Um, since then, we've seen the compliance rate or wear rate of around about 94, 95%, and we've seen the fatality rate come down to about probably 1.2, 1.3 people per 10,000 registered boats. That's registered boats. So that's a massive decline. And um, look, other things have changed as well. It's just not the compulsory wearing of life jackets. It's better boat design. There's better access to weather forecasts, there's more safety gear like EPIRPS, marine radio. The whole recreational boating scene's improved, so it just might not be just the compulsive wearing of life jackets, but mind you, I think that's had a massive, massive effect on the drowning fatalities in Tassie. And indeed, now we're seeing around other parts of Australia. Look, I recall cruising down the Swan River at an Ansbeg meeting shortly after we introduced the compulsory wearing. That probably would have been in May 2001. And the other states just took the mickey out of me for 
being from Tasmania, introducing such legislation that you know civil rights and people shouldn't have to be told what to do. But now we've seen all the other states follow suit to various extents, you know, to make it 4.8 metres in, in various situations. And, and I know other states are still considering increasing their legislation to compulsory wearing. So, you know, that was 22 years ago, 23 years ago. So that was a long time ago. Um, yeah, so it's it's been an outstanding success. But also the improvement in the safety culture following that introduction of compulsory wearing of life jackets. And I think one of the issues we've got now is a whole new band of recreational boaters coming along that wouldn't have any idea what it was even like prior to 2001, not having to wear a life jacket. You know, I can take you back to that drowning rate from six down to just over one. Prior to 2000, we wouldn't have had that many boats registered compared to what we've got now in the registered fleet. Oh, no, look, there was only around about 10,000 boats back in those days. Um, now we've got uh, triple that, over 30,000 registered boats, so that makes it even more remarkable. And when you work out those figures of 6.3 down to 1.2, whatever it is now, um, you work that out on a yearly basis. It's a massive number of people that have been saved. It's interesting that um, you're saying about the younger generation of boaters coming through. I mean, me and myself are in the younger age demographic, so um, having that background is um, quite interesting. H- how's that been received by the by the boating public then? How has that how has that change received by them then and then coming into the future now? Yeah, it was received really well. As I said before, it was received really well at the time, and uh, people have embraced it. And uh, look, even now we're seeing that the newer generation of boaters coming out. Uh, they put a life jacket on like you put a seatbelt on in the car. Obviously, not everybody wears a seatbelt. We, we know that. And not everybody wears a life jacket. But by, by jingos, it's, it's, it's out there. Um, you have to wear a life jacket in a boat six metres and under. The introduction of that legislation has brought other issues, which we'll talk about later. But um, by and large, it's, it's been a terrific thing to help save lives in Tasmanian waters. And there's been a, been a change also, isn't there, with the development of life jacket types. So you've gone from a straight block foam life jacket, big, clumsy, you know, not very comfortable, to the newer style of life jackets. Absolutely. Everybody wore a foam jacket, or before it was compulsory to have a jacket, you, you all had to have jackets in your boat, and they're all foam jackets. Um, took up a lot of room, they were uncomfortable to wear, quite hot to wear. So we saw the development from a local company, in particular Stormy Seas, who started producing inflatable life jackets. It led to people going out buying inflatable life jackets because they, they were easier to wear, they were more comfortable, they were lighter, you could move around the boat easily with them. Yeah, so we saw the introduction of the Stormy Vests. Then, of course, came along the yoke-styled life jacket, which still had to meet the standards. So a lot of development, a lot of research and development went into those. So people are now wearing inflatable life jackets, and we reckon probably 80% to 87% of the boating population are actually wearing inflatables these days. But issues come around with that as well. That's the, that's the interesting point, isn't it? Because they, they, I mean, they are very comfortable, and especially the stormy vest-style suits, um, suits the weather conditions we get here. Some of the things that we've been seeing with the, the condition of these inflatables and, and some of the problems that we're seeing there, and a lot of the jurisdictions around the world have got absolutely no idea because their wear rates are so low. Yeah, well, in the States a few years ago, they're trying to get their wear rate from 5% to 7%. Our wear rate here is about 94 95%. But what we are seeing, and, and, and you and Higgsy and, and Leah and other staff here when we're out on boat ramps, we see 
some of the inflatable life jackets in very, very, very poor condition. And sadly, some of the fatalities we do see now that we check these inflatable life jackets after a fatality, they're not up to it, they haven't been serviced, they haven't been maintained. So, you know, as well as we can say, yes, we've got an inflatable life jacket on and that makes us compliant, it's not compliant unless it works. So to get a life jacket serviced, 40 50 $60, something like that, about the cost of a carton of beer. So what value is your life? People will go out and buy a new electronic fishing rule worth $1,300, $1,400. They have a bellyache when they've got to go and let, get their life jacket serviced for 40 or 50 or 60 bucks. So um, what value is your life? Great, they can go and get their fish in easily, but if they end up in the water, their life jacket might not work. So that's the importance of... Inflatables, you've got to maintain them. Yes, a foam jacket can't get a hole in it, but an inflatable can. And we have inspected life jackets, as you know, after a fatality, and uh, they're not up to it. They, they haven't been serviced, and consequently, they don't work. And as a result, you panic when you're in the water and ends up with dire consequences. And as you, as you say, Hoppy, you know, we, we see such an expanse of these life jackets that are now all over the, all over the state. We've, you know, every boat's generally got inflatable life jackets. We all know that when we go and do boatman patrols that we're seeing, you know, no cylinders, cylinders that are in jackets, automatics that are out of date, cylinders that are pierced, corroded. And it's one of those things that I guess are out of sight, out of mind, but people don't pay that attention to. I mean, only a couple of weeks ago, we were doing a boat ramp checkup at Tribunna and we came across a, a beautiful boat um, with four gentlemen on board and every single one of their inflatable life jackets didn't have a bottle in it. Everyone on the boat. And they were absolutely shocked. I actually knew the people personally. They were absolutely shocked that they didn't have bottles in them at all. So, you know, you make a really good point that people are carrying them to, the, to, the, to comply, but at the end of the day, you're not complying unless they're maintained in, in good order and condition. And that's something that I think people are generally starting to forget a little bit with them. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a good point that we need to make sure that we keep the service regime up to them. Is this something along the lines of the it can't happen to me factor? Do we see a bit of that? Oh, absolutely. And it's actually in our legislation that a life jacket or your safety gear must be maintained in good order. So you can have flares on your boat and they can be ratty and, and they don't comply. Same with a life jacket. If it's, not, if it's not operational at the time a check's made, then... An infringement can be issued. It's it's pointless having gear on your boat, which is not going to work. And that applies to your life jacket, your inflatable life jacket. Same with a foam life jacket. The zip might not work. It's not maintained as it should be. And because it's not in good order and condition, it's contrary to our bylaws. And I guess the, the other thing with that is that if, as inflatable life jackets, we know there's all different types. There's manuals, there's autos, the, you know, there's pull cords, there's the cords might be you know hidden in different places. Are we seeing people that you know, are maybe new to boating that are going out with people who may not be familiar with how things work and operate? Are we seeing that a little bit through, through what we're doing? Yeah, absolutely. We're seeing people who are just too afraid to just peel their pocket back on a stormy to, to, to inspect their bottle or the firing mechanism or to peel the Velcro back on a yoke to, to check what actually makes these things work. And that's led to the review of the Australian Standard, which, which we work really hard on through the ARBSC a couple of years ago. And, look, we knew what was going on with inflatable life jackets. The other states had no idea with respect as to the problems that were, were surfacing. And, and, and since then, they're now seeing these. They're seeing corroded bottles. So that's what led us to change the life jacket, the current life jacket standard 
which new life jackets manufactured from this year on, you'll see a, a, some massive changes in those, which will only improve the product and even down to a, to a testing regime of level 150s and above. It won't be with people wearing bathers in a swimming pool. It'll be with people wearing clothing, what they actually go boating in. So people say so when the Australian standards are tested, they're tested in a swimming pool, people wearing a pair of bathers. That's how they test the life jackets. Absolutely, and, and, and that, that's a complete nonsense. And we did a big display over here a few years ago and had two or 300 people watching. And, and that, that was initiated because we saw somebody walking around the dock with a yoke on with a heavy tool back. That if that bloke ended up in the drink, what's going to happen? So we wrote to all these life jacket manufacturers right around the country, Australian Standard Life Jackets, and had a massive day down at, at Sullivan's Cove where we tested heaps and heaps of different life jackets and different scenarios. And what we found was that if you're not wearing a crutch strap, that life jacket's not going to do what it's designed to do. So going back to your original point of, of testing in a swimming pool with bathers, we actually did all these tests with people wearing what they would normally go boating, from, from heavy wet weather gear down to a pair of shorts and, and sand shoes. And um, you know the difference one sand shoe makes being taken off might be the difference between rolling over if you've got a life jacket that fits you. And, and as you know, we've done tests with the AMC, we've done tests in Launceston and Queenstown and displays, and uh, it really does blow people away what can happen if you're not wearing your life jacket properly. And, um, you know, a crotch strap will improve the performance of a life jacket by over 70%. So the, the new standard crotch straps now for level over a level 150 and the other important thing is also about the servicing regime with the change in the, in the standard as well, Pete. Yeah, look, there, there were five changes made. The first one I've just spoken about is testing in a swimming pool with people actually wearing clothes to levels 150 and above. And when we say level 150, that's 150 newtons of buoyancy. And that's your general inflatable life jacket, your general yoke. You go into some of the big box stores or to one of our boat safe partners right around the state, your, your general yoke will be 150, level 150. Now, the, the changes to the standard include a crotch strap, as you said, being sewn in the date of manufa- at the time of manufacturing, changes to the testing. The other big one was there's going to be consistent lettering and wording on all life jackets. It'll tell you whether it's auto or manual. They don't do that these days. They haven't had to. That's, that's amazing, isn't it? When you buy a jacket and it, you don't actually know from looking at the front of it whether it's a manual or an auto. And we know that when we do our boat ramp checks and we're asking people that question, is your life jacket manual or auto? Although some people do know what it is, a lot of people don't know what it is and aren't aware of how it operates. So that's a big one. That's a big win. Yeah, it's, it's a big win. And a couple of the other changes, to unscrew the, the gas cylinder, there's got to be two manual activations. And how often have we, and we've spoken about it before, you've seen a cylinder fall out of the boat ramp. So that's a massive change. And also, there's going to be consistent servicing time. So three years, every three years, or within three years, everybody must take it to an accredited service provider. And we had, we had some brands saying they wouldn't have to go to an accredited provider for nine years. We know that's nonsense. So we've been able to get that in with the manufacturers through the Committee of the Australian Standards, which has been terrific. So there are five massive changes. And, and another big one on all jackets will be the wording for maximum performance, fit firmly and use crotch straps. So that's going to be on all brands as well. So that, those five changes, which must have initiated through the ARBSC, massive, massive safety gain for inflatable life jackets into the future. The servicing regime, that's, that's been an in, a really interesting point, hasn't it? Because there's so many people who 
think that they can service their jacket themselves because a lot of the manufacturers were talking about self-servicing and all of this sort of thing. So the language around that too is pretty important, isn't it? We've done the course. You cannot self-service your own jacket. You cannot do it. You can self-check it. You cannot self-service it because what the accredited service agent does is actually takes the firing mechanism apart. They check the O-rings. They blow the bladder up to a certain KPA. You can't blow the bladder up to the certain KPA, which is required, like you blow up a balloon. You need a special machine. People cannot self-service their life jacket. They think they can, but they cannot. And that's what we've got to get into people's minds. They can self-check it. They cannot self-service it. And we've seen fatalities when people have um, ignored the servicing regime. O-rings have gone belly up. Jacket hasn't worked. person lost their life. So... You can look. You cannot self self service. You can only self check. Take it to an accredited provider. And we often hear people at boat ramps, you know, hoppy tars. You know, we're always out and about who are, as you say, maybe having a bellyache about the forty or sixty dollars compared to the couple of thousand dollars they spent on the weekend on their reels. Um, but really, it's a pretty small price price to pay, isn't it, for your life? And uh, at the end of the day, if you choose a product that requires the maintenance as opposed to a foam jacket, then you've got to be prepared to carry that cost. You don't have to have an inflatable jacket. You can have a foam jacket. As I said, they're not going to get a hole in them. They're not as comfortable to wear, but we're not telling people to wear inflatables. We're telling people to wear a life jacket. If they choose an inflatable, they choose the responsibilities that go with owning an inflatable life jacket. One of those is having it serviced according to the manufacturer's recommendations by an accredited provider. We're also seeing a lot of inflatable jackets, uh, models being made for, for children. What are your thoughts about that? I'm not a great fan of inflatable jackets on children. If people enter the water unexpectedly, the first thing you do is probably go into panic mode a little bit. And if it's in the winter, obviously, you're going to cold water immersion shop. So I think a child's jacket should always be up, and I'd say up to 12 years of age, probably a foam jacket with a crotch strap with a handle on it so you can hoik the child out uh, with, a, with a handle on the neck bit, which is part of the standard. So... Look, I wouldn't be encouraging anybody with children under 12 to fit them up in an inflatable life jacket. And when you look at our, um, our statistics as well, because the reason for the changing in the, in the standard was driven a bit by the number of people that we found ending up in the water and wearing a life jacket which they thought was going to save their lives but actually didn't do the job. That's right. It didn't do the job. A level 150 might not be good enough for a, for a bigger type person who might be um, 110 kilos, 120, 130 kilos. Can you buy a larger, higher mutant rating life jacket? Are yeah. They all, or are they all just 150s? No, they're not all 150s. You can get 175. You can get up to level 300. Mind you, it's very difficult to move once the bladder comes out, but it's going to save your life if it works and if it's been serviced, it's more than likely going to save, save your life. And if it doesn't save your life, it gives you an opportunity to be rescued. That's, that's the important thing. It's all about the opportunity of being rescued if you're in a situation where you need to be rescued. So if your gear's not working, it doesn't matter any sort of safety gear. If it's not working, pointless having it on board. So that's the importance with, with life jackets and all your safety gear to make sure it's checked. Uh, and, I, and at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's just one of those things that People wear it to comply, but uh, it's it is there to save your life like a seatbelt in a car is. So um, it's the old saying, be boat wise, there's no second chances. Mm-hmm.
Some great advice there. And please remember to wear your life jacket. It could just save your life. Now, next time on the Mars Podcast, we'll be exploring our boating infrastructure around Tasmania. Things like boat ramps and jetties. It will be very much worth a listen. Thank you.